0: Caleb said, I am very excited. Very unlike my personality to be excited about anything. I'm just normally just a, a dull, really just dry sense of humor type of person. But uh no, I'm very, very excited and maybe even more excited than I've ever been to to preach a, a passage. I will be in 2 Corinthians if you want to go ahead and turn there. We'll be in chapter 1. We'll be going through. I'm going to read 1 through 11, but we're really going to break down 3 through 11. But I'm very excited. This has been a very encouraging and timely um, word that the Lord has really just been able to speak to my heart. And I, I'm, I'm excited because I get to bring that to you. And, and I pray that that's the same thing. I pray that it is a encouraging and comforting word. With that being said, I'm going to try to keep it like me tonight. Short and sweet. So. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I was proud of that one. I thought of that one myself. No one had to help me with that. I thought that was pretty impressive. Oh man. Um, let's do this. Before we, um, before we read God's Word, let's open with a word of prayer real quick. Dear God, we come to You and we thank You so much for the God that You are. We're so thankful that we get to freely come into this place and worship, worship such a holy God. A God that has, has died Lord, sent His Son to die on the cross so that we could freely worship Him, freely have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray as we approach Your Word tonight, Lord, that we will treat that with reverence, Lord, that we will tune in our ears, our minds, to be understanding of Your Word, to be intentional to listen, and more importantly, be intentional to glorify You through the worship, through bringing this Word. Lord, we love You and we praise You. Before we read the scripture, I want to offer just a word of background for 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul is the writer of this letter, and he's writing to the Corinthian church around fifty-five, fifty-six AD. And this would have been approximately 20-22 years after Jesus' ministry on earth. As far as the meaning to the original audience, the, the, the intent of Paul writing this letter was not particularly because they were facing any significant persecution. It's possible that some were. With that being said, these people were in pretty good shape as far as that goes. What Paul is doing here in the introduction, these first 11 verses is really the introduction to 2 Corinthians. And what Paul is doing in this introduction is just offering encouragement to strengthen the faithful majority in Corinth. As Second Corinthians continues, Paul's approach to this letter changes. It's much more specific, but as far as it goes for us tonight and understanding the meaning to the original audience, as far as some background, Paul is writing this to strengthen the faithful majority in Corinth. Just as Paul is seeking to do that, to strengthen the faithful majority, that's what I intend for us to do tonight. Second Corinthians will be going through one through eleven. In verse one, it reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience which you when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. We can obviously see through the reading of these first 11 verses that this is definitely a word of encouragement to these people, a word of comfort. That being said, um, a lot of times we go through things in our life, each person in this room has gone through some type of suffering in which we needed God's comfort. Sadly, oftentimes when we go through those things, I can speak for myself for sure, and, and I believe that I could speak for many of you, is when we go through this suffering, a lot of times we seek our comfort in the wrong place. Uh, A lot of times we seek our comfort in maybe material things and one person, place, or thing, and we could sum that up by saying we place our comfort in things of this earth. With that being said, with that illustration in mind, it leads me to my first of two points that we'll look at tonight. That first point is that God is your everlasting comfort. We'll begin in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. In this verse, Paul starts off by proclaiming the character of Christ. He is proclaiming the character of God. He proclaims that God is a God of mercy and that God is a God of all comfort. The significance of Paul proclaiming that God is a God of mercy and a God of all comfort is because the state that Paul is in most of the time in his ministry. We can look at several different examples, and I'll give you one example in Ephesians specifically. We know that when Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, when he's writing to the saints in that area, he is imprisoned in Rome. With that being said, we see that the state of Paul, a lot of times his circumstances are not good. A lot of the time, he is not in a good position at all. And yet what we see, which so clearly shows his devotion to God, he is still proclaiming the character of God. There is also huge significance in him saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here is writing to the Christians that are in Corinth. So when he says, our Lord he is including those people that he's writing to in Corinth. When he says, our Lord, he is stating that they are serving the same God. They could relate to this because they also understand that God is a God of mercy. They understand that God is a God of comfort because of the state that they were in and maybe have been in the past. Now, I don't think that these people were facing any significant persecution at this time, but we know just in our own lives, we don't have to face persecution a whole lot, thankfully, but we know that life can be tough we still face things in our life that cause us to suffer. And that's Paul's intention here. That's how these people can relate to Paul. This is how they can understand that God is a God of mercy and a God of comfort. They may not be facing persecution, but they're still having to live life in life in a sinful world where we face things that are not always good. And for us, we can, we can also relate to this. We've all been through things in our life where we need God's comfort We all have been in in situations in our life where God has, has graciously revealed Himself to us and shown us that He is a God of comfort, that He is a God of mercy. It's important for us to understand that God is the originator of mercy and comfort. I believe that's why Paul says that He is the Father of mercy and God of comfort. It is because God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that he becomes the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. When we think of a father and son in today's time and we refer to the son, we know that when we hear of the son, we go back to the father. And we know when we have a son that the father is the originator of that son. Just as the father is the originator of that son, we can, we can say that me, given an example, Sam Riley, my father is Pete Riley. I came from Pete Riley, and to give that illustration to just kind of help you better understand that God being a God of mercy and comfort, mercy and comfort came first and foremost from God. He is the originator of mercy and comfort. With that being said, we can take that just for a moment and apply that to our lives. If we know that He is the originator of mercy and comfort and we understand the first point that we looked at, that God is our everlasting comfort, then that's where we should seek our comfort first and foremost. That's where we should go when we are suffering. Seek it in Him first. Paul, in verse 4, he continues... says, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We can take this verse, verse 4, and just see that if we're His, we can find comfort in Him. No matter what we go through, no matter what it is that you've gone through. I have no earthly idea uh, what you guys have come in here with. I, I don't know the, the state of each of you, but we know that God is always there to comfort us. And sometimes it's just a healthy reminder and even a comforting reminder to know that God's there for us. God is where we find our everlasting comfort. He comforts us in all of our affliction. He continues... Here in verse 4, and he says, "...so that we," speaking of Christians, "...may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction." The only way that we're able to properly comfort other people or other believers is first understanding what that comfort is. And how do we understand that? That's to first be comforted by God. It's by first understanding that we find our comfort in a holy God. We have to first be comforted by God before we can comfort others. And I want to give you an example from Charles Spurgeon. It says, Their experience of sorrow and consolation, comfort, is often the means of enabling them to be the means of blessing to others. In short, what that's saying, what Spurgeon is is alluding to, is that whatever suffering that we go through, whatever sorrow that we face, it can be used for good for someone else. It can be used to speak into the lives of someone else as a means of encouragement, as a means of comforting. This comfort we know is a different type of comfort. This comfort comes from a holy God who in Him is no error. And if we understand God to be holy, we understand that He is set apart. And if we understand that holy means to be set apart, and we understand that we serve a holy God, then we know that everything He does, everything He says is set apart. Therefore, we know that the comfort that we can find in Him is set apart. It's different from any other comfort that anyone can offer. We've heard Caleb use this illustration many a times. It's like having a love for your own child versus someone else's kid. Yes, you love the other person's kid, but the love that we have for our own children, I can't say that I have no children, but the love that you have for your own children is different. It's a special kind of love, it's set apart. And we can use that same illustration and apply it to our lives in the fact that God's comfort that we find from Him is set apart. It's different. It is a special kind of comfort. It's an everlasting comfort. Moving on to verse 5, it says, "...for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too." Paul here, I believe, is talking about how he and Timothy are suffering. And when he says, for as we share in Christ's sufferings, he is relating to the original audience that he's writing to. Essentially, what he's saying is that just as Christ suffered, we are also suffering for his sake because we are called to be imitators of Christ. And we can see, we can see that example in the word Christians. If we understand that a Christian is little Christ, that means that we are called to be little Christ, which would mean to be imitators of Christ. And if that means suffering for the sake of the gospel, then that's imitating Christ. Christ suffered for us. If we have to suffer for Christ, we are doing what we are called to do, and that's being imitators of Christ. We're doing what we're called to do by being Christians. Specifically when he says we share, I believe that Paul is alluding to the fact that just in, as he and Timothy are suffering in life, so are the Christians in Corinth. We've already kind of talked about this a little bit. Maybe they're not facing as as much heavy persecution as Paul is, but they're still having to go through life. You know how that is. You know how life is. I'm only 20 years old, and I can understand that there are times in my life where I suffer, where I go through different trials. I may not face persecution, but life is still tough. And I believe that Paul, when he's, when he's talking about this, when he says we share, I believe that that's what he's alluding to. He's alluding to the fact that you're having to go through life just like I am. And it's not always easy. You need comfort. You need encouragement. They share in the fact that they share together in suffering just as Christ did. And as odd as it sounds, just as we as believers share in Christ's sufferings, we can also share in His comfort too. Paul saw that just as he was suffering abundantly, he saw that even much more in his sufferings, he was able to share, he was able to abundantly be comforted through Christ even more than he was in his sufferings. And it leads me to this question that I want to ask you that I want you to just kind of mull over and think about for a second. Are we not willing to endure the great suffering so that we may enjoy the greater comfort that we find in a holy God? i want to read that again. Are we, insert your name, am I, Sam, am I willing to endure the great suffering so that I can enjoy the greater comfort that I find in a holy God? Moving on to verse 6. Verse 6 reads, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. In whatever ways that Paul is afflicted, whatever he's referring to, it can be their comfort because they have seen that he has endured whatever the suffering is that he's going through. It can be their salvation, Because by seeing or hearing of this affliction that they've gone through, they may be able to to war against that and avoid it because they've been warned through Paul's writings. Paul is enduring these sufferings first and foremost for the sake of the gospel. But he's also enduring these sufferings and afflictions for the sake of these people. He's taking this on himself so that they don't have to. And man, what a perfect example. What a perfect way that Paul is pointing to the example that we see in Christ. James preached about it this morning. It's a salvation that we do not deserve. A salvation that God should not have done for us. We do not deserve that. It's a love that we should not have. It's a love that we don't deserve. It's a grace that surpasses our understanding. And Paul is is taking a page out of God's book and his commandment to be an imitator of Christ. And if it means to be just like Christ, then he is taking this on himself so that these people don't have to. Therefore, his affliction is meant for their comfort and salvation. It goes on in verse 6 to say, And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. What Paul is saying here is that you can know that in these things that you are now facing just as we have already faced if we were able to be comforted you can be comforted in knowing that you can also find comfort in the suffering just as we have. Just as the thing that I have suffered through that you're going through the same thing you can find comfort because I'm telling you God provided a way for me. He provided a way out. Paul saw the comfort that God provided him and he's able to tell these people that you can be comforted. I've already been through this, Paul says. This comfort that Paul is talking about will come from them patiently enduring the afflictions that they have gone through, just as Paul has gone through. We can we can kind of take and, and look in, in James chapter one. When James is talking about patience, it produces trials that we go through, produces steadfastness. And steadfastness means to be firmly fixed in place. It means to be immovable. What he's telling these people, if you will patiently endure this, your faith will be strengthened. This verse, I love this verse because it so clearly speaks of what the the true Christian life looks like, which is to be solely dependent on God for everything and to be poured into by the Spirit and then to pour out to others around us what the Spirit has poured into us. The only way by which I can stand behind this pulpit and preach to you is because first God had to speak this message to me. Um, I'll give you an example. I was teaching Sunday school here and I came to Caleb and I was just like, man, I just don't feel like I can... I feel like I need to just relieve myself of this. I didn't feel like I was able to pour that out because I properly was not feeding myself with God's Word. I wasn't being poured into properly. The only way by which we can pour out to others is to be properly poured into. Verse 7, Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul here in this verse is speaking on behalf of he and Timothy, and he says that our hope for you is unshaken. What Paul is saying here is that the hope that he and Timothy have for these people, it's not going anywhere. What Paul is encouraging to these people, what he's trying to tell these people is like, hey, I'm here for you. I got you. Regardless of the circumstances, they can be comforted in knowing that they are there for them. This is another great example of how this points to Christ. We can know in whatever we do, in whatever sin that we're struggling with, we know that God is there for us. We know that His sacrifice for us is complete. It was once and for all to tell us die, right? It is finished. That's once and for all. Just some ways that under this first point, in light of knowing that God is our everlasting comfort. Some ways that we can apply this is when you're going through a time of suffering, first and foremost, seek your comfort in God. God is the only place that you will ever find everlasting comfort. Nowhere else will you ever find everlasting comfort. I think this also looks like just understanding that in the moment or season that you're suffering, that although the suffering may seem great, understand that the God that you serve, the God, your comforter, is much greater than anything that you're going through. I think it's also to understand that your comfort is not based on your circumstances. The comfort that God provides is not a comfort that's contingent on our circumstances. We can look at verse 4. It says, who comforts us in all of our affliction. It doesn't say some, it says all. I believe it also looks like to understand that the only way as believers that we are able to comfort other people is to first be comforted by God, to first understand that comfort that we find in God, that comfort that we find in God and God alone. The only way that we can properly comfort other people is to understand the comfort that God has provided us. And finally, I think it's to look like using the experience of suffering that you've gone through, Use that, that you've personally gone through, that personal experience to provide comfort to others. We see this example in Paul and Timothy in this passage. We see them being transparent about the sufferings that they are going through. Be transparent. Use your experience, the things that you've gone through, to build others up. Use that to comfort other people. Oftentimes, We tend to let our sufferings or the things that we are going through get us down. And sadly, our response is to seek comfort in earthly things. And in these five verses, under this first point, knowing that God is our everlasting comfort, we saw that Paul in showing us that God is our everlasting comfort, He is the only means by which we can have that. He's the only means by which we can find true comfort. Moving on to the second half of this passage, we see that Paul lets his suffering and turmoil point him to something much greater. And that leads us into our second point, And that's to let your suffering point you to God. Verse 8, it says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired, of life itself, in this verse, Paul is clearly speaking on the behalf of he and Timothy, and he is telling them in short what what their experience was. He is telling them that man, I'm telling you, we were suffering, we were in, and we were in such a bad spot that we just despaired of life itself. Paul and Timothy here are being transparent about their struggles, they're being transparent about the things that they're going through. He goes on to say in this same verse, that they were so utterly burdened, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. The persecution and the affliction, the struggles that Paul and Timothy faced was very heavy. So heavy that they were at the point where they despaired of life. I would almost venture to say that they just regretted being alive. It's no secret that their circumstances were far from good. When I was... Eight years old, um, when I was eight years old, I was my mother was my mother was killed in a car wreck. And the situation of this was terrible. I was at the point. I was at a point in my life. I was at a point in my life where I just I didn't I didn't want to be here. Uh I was at a point where I despaired of life. I didn't want to be here. I was early on. I didn't know how to take it. But as I grew older, I grew angry at God. I grew angry. I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I didn't understand why I questioned. I didn't face... I wasn't facing persecution and affliction the same way that Paul was, I would say that his circumstances were far greater than what I went through, but that is that that was also my response, just as paul he despaired he and Timothy they despaired of life. I did too, and I want you to keep that I want you to keep that illustration in mind as we go into verse nine and we see how Paul responds to this persecution, how he responds to this this suffering that he was going through, this affliction that he and Timothy faced. I want you to keep that in mind. Verse 9, it says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul continues in this verse to say that They felt as if they had received the sentence of death. We can so clearly see that they both were at a breaking point. So much that they felt that they had received the sentence of death. They despaired of life. He goes on to say in verse 9, it says, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And to bring back the illustration that I was talking about, it seemed dark for a long time, and it seemed like it was never going to get better. Um, I was 15 years old, and the Lord was gracious to me to reveal His self to me, and God revealed himself to me in such an amazing way that I, I can't even talk about with obviously getting upset because it's so amazing. It was such an encounter with a holy God. And I realized in that moment, and as I have grown and understand and really, really being in this passage of scripture, why I was so excited is because God spoke to me and really uncovered some things in my life personally, I realized that what I went through, God put me through that so that I would see, so that I would see how amazing He is. That I would see that my purpose is to serve Him. My purpose is not Our purpose is not to rely on ourself. Our purpose is to place our trust and to rely and to be solely dependent on a holy God that can take care of everything. We see the same example with Paul and Timothy. Even in the heat of the affliction that they were facing, they were reminded that this affliction that they were facing was put in their way So that they would look to God for guidance and to be solely dependent on Him. To be solely dependent on a God that has the power to raise the dead. If God has the power to raise the dead, then I can promise you that He most certainly has the power to comfort and guide you in any suffering that you face, in anything that you face. We can apply that to us. This was an encouraging word to these people and I'm telling you what, it's an encouraging word to this church. It's an encouraging word to Spring Hill to know that the God that has the power to raise the dead, He's got the power to take away. He has the power to deliver you from whatever you're suffering in. Verse 10. It says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us I want to read that again. It said, He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. Paul states here that God has delivered them once before from such a deadly peril. He goes on to state that the same God that has delivered us before is going to deliver us once again. I can apply that thinking thinking through the same illustration that I've already used. God delivered me. That was a hard time in my life. It's something that I still struggle with, but I can go back and I can hold true and lean into the fact that God was faithful to deliver me in that instance and something that I felt was so great, something that I still hurt from. God was faithful to deliver me, and I know that I can hold on to that and know that God is faithful to deliver me in anything else. That comes my way, from their experience from times past, they have seen that God has delivered them, so they have set their hope in the fact that He will deliver them again. I mentioned as we as we opened up this message, as I opened up this message, I have no earthly idea what you came in here with. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're suffering with. I don't know what that suffering is that you're facing. But I'm telling you that you can be encouraged. We can be encouraged by Paul's encouragement to these people in Corinth. We can be encouraged in the fact that God delivered them. And we can hold our faith. We can put and lean into the fact that God is going to deliver us again. I don't know what it is. And I I, and I can be willing to bet that you have all been through something and known that God has delivered you. And I'm telling you that you can be comforted and encouraged in the fact that God's going to deliver you again. Finally, moving on to our final verse, in verse 11 it says, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. In short, Paul is closing in verse 11. He urges these people that he's writing to to be intentional to be in prayer for them. This shows that Paul has a clear understanding of the power of prayer. And we can take... Uh, a lot of application from this verse and to just understand that when somebody's going through something, if you know of somebody suffering through something, going through trials in their life, be intentional to pray for them. That's what we do every Wednesday night before we open the service. Caleb asked, do you have any prayer requests? That is an opportunity for us to be intentional about praying for others. Not only to write it down in a notebook, close it, and not look at it until the next Wednesday and make another list, but to be intentional about opening that notebook, remembering those names, to be intentional about praying for those people. Just some more application in light of knowing that... We should let our suffering point us to God in light of that. Some application that we can see here is to just be transparent about the things that you're struggling with. I believe that God honors confession. I believe that God honors transparency. It's hard for someone to be able to help you. It's hard for somebody to be able to help comfort you if they don't know what you're going through. Tell them, be vulnerable, be transparent with people so that they can help in comforting you. In the heaviness of your suffering, let it point you to the comfort that God has provided in His Son Jesus and the salvation that we have in God. Let that comfort point you to Jesus. Let your suffering be a means by which God is glorified. Let that be a means that you give God the praise and the glory that He deserves. To look at that suffering, to look at that trial through a how can I give God glory in this situation lens, Look at it that way. How can I glorify You, God, in this situation where it seems like it's not? there is no light at the end of the tunnel? God, how can You be glorified through this situation in my life? Maybe it looks like taking yourself back to a time where God was faithful, where God was faithful to deliver you from your suffering and just trust and have faith that God's going to be faithful to deliver you again. I think it also looks like simply relying on God and not your own ability. I believe that we can, as we've already stated at the end of verse 11, to apply this in the same way that Paul has urged the original audience by being intentional to pray for those who are suffering or who are going through trials in their life. And finally, by way of application, to let your suffering point you to God. Leanne, as she um, comes up, I'll make one last closing statement. Just as Paul's intentions here were to encourage and strengthen the faithful majority in Corinth, I pray that that is what has happened tonight in this place. I pray that you have been encouraged, that your faith has been strengthened to know that God is a God of comfort. I don't know what you came in here with. I don't know what you're going to leave through those double doors with. And I don't know what you're going to face in the future. But I pray that you will be encouraged through this passage, through Paul's writings, that God is your everlasting comfort and that He will comfort you in all that you go through and also that you have been encouraged encouraged, and even challenged to let your sufferings point you to God and to use that as a means to give Him glory. God is a God of all comfort and He will comfort you in all that you go through. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to You and we thank You so much for being a God of comfort. A comfort that surpasses our understanding. It's so overwhelming to know that we serve such a holy God that's able to comfort us in the deepest, darkest times in our life. God, I thank You for doing that for me. I thank You for continuing to do that for me. Lord, I don't know the hearts of every person in this congregation, but I pray, God, that they are encouraged to know that we can find, that they can find everlasting comfort in You. And I pray, God, that they will also be encouraged and challenged to let those sufferings, even when it seems that there's no light at the end of the tunnel, I pray, God, that they will let that point to You. And I pray, God, that above all else, that You will get the glory that You deserve. It's in Your name. Amen.